All right. Enneagram, you ready? All right. Well, some of you aren't, but we're going to go that way anyway. And if you drift off to sleep, I'll bring you back in a, in a few minutes. Now, if you have your journals, uh, it's good to bring them on Sundays. There's some pieces in here, some, some places where you can take notes. If you don't have a journal, uh, we have some in the back of the room that you can grab. Uh, even right now, it's not going to bother me if you jump up and go grab one. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but these are just great ways to journey along with us in this series and the next couple series. There's uh, places for, for notes on Sunday mornings. And then... During the week, so here, uh, this last week, for example, on page six and seven, uh, every single day there's a place where you have a passage of scripture and then some questions next to that to help you dig in deeper to those questions. And um, if you're a one like me, and you'll hear what a one is here in a couple minutes, um, there's check boxes to the very far left. I love those check boxes. It gave me an opportunity this week to check it off and feel like I was, I was getting somewhere. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you like the check boxes like me. Even if you didn't do it, you checked it just so it would look good on, on the paper. Um, so each week you've got some, some daily activities just to help you go a little bit deeper. And then there's some, some group questions. So this is a great tool to help you walk this out um, a little bit further. Okay, so the Enneagram. Here's... Uh, we're going to do a quick review, catch those up who missed last week. This is what the Enneagram is. Um, it is a dynamic personality system. So many of us have heard about personality tests such as the Myers-Briggs, INTJ, ESPQ. I, I don't know all the, the letters, but you guys know the Myers-Briggs. There's all kinds of different personality tests. What I love about the Enneagram is that it, instead of getting at our act actions, it gets to our motivations. Why do we do the things that we do? And if we can get to our motivations, if we can get underneath the actions to the motivations, we might be able to understand a little bit more about ourselves, how we're wired, and how we can move to a healthier place. And I think God, this honors God in getting into how he's wired us, uh, how the world has shaped us, and then move in a direction uh, of health and wholeness, which only God's Spirit can bring about true transformation. And that's where we want to go today. Um, two books that we've, we've recommended as you walk through this series. If you're a reader, uh, The Road Back to You is like the basis. It's, it's the, the first book you should read about the Enneagram if you want to know more about it. Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile. Uh, authored this book. Suzanne authored this second book called The Path Between Us, and it's more about relationships. Like once you understand yourself, how do you relate to other people? If you're married, I would highly recommend this book as uh, a conversation in your marriage to read through it together. Um, and then last week, we gave you three rules, and I'm going to remind you every week about these rules. Um, my wife and I had a disagreement yesterday because of the rules The first rule is this, my number is not an excuse for my behavior. Like once you begin to understand more about yourself, it is easy to say, hey, just get used to it, that's who I am. It's just who I am. If you don't like it, you know, that, and that's not a healthy thing to do. Um, so my number is not an excuse for my behavior. Second thing is I won't use your number against you. And I'm not saying that this is what Robin did to me, but maybe she did. <laughs> And since she's not up here to defend herself, we'll just put it at that. 
Uh, and number three, I'm going to work on me during this series, not you. Like, it's important that we work on ourselves and not try to work on the people around us. And it is easy when we get into conversations like this to think about all the people who need to hear it and who need to get better. And I want to just challenge us in that, that this, is, this isn't about nailing someone else down and figuring them out so that we can fix them. It's about ourselves, our hearts and our minds, and where we are. Uh, so those are, those are the rules. And then one quick thought before we get into this, the spiritual path we'll go on today, um, and, and this is this. I want to encourage you to long play your discovery. I want to encourage you to long play your discovery. And the challenge uh, I think we all face is to, we want, we, we want to know what we are today. I had someone, uh, even this morning, mention to me, hey, last week when you started talking, I, I knew right away I'm, I'm a one. And then you kept talking, and so then I knew I was a 13, because I was a one and a three. <laughs> and by the end, I was, I was 138. Um, I was three different numbers. And it, the challenge is if we try to go too quickly into the conversation, we'll box ourselves in. And, and once we do that, it's difficult to get our minds to, to say, well, wait a minute, that, that might not be it. So uh, I, I don't want us to box ourselves in to a certain number. I want us to take the long play here to think a little bit more. Um, I, want us, I want to encourage us to ask and listen to our families and, and our friends, people who know us well, our coworkers, as uncomfortable as that is at times to hear the truth. Um, I think it's important for us to do that. And then the third thing is I want, us, um, I want to encourage us to be honest and not project our desires onto to, to self-awareness. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I do not like my number and my type. And my, uh, my guess is many of you, when, when you start to discover like the truth about your motivations, you don't like, you don't like it. And so it'd be easy to project something else and say, well, that's not really me. I'm a seven because a seven sounds so fun. That's what I wanna be. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm a seven, because sevens are awesome. They're the life of the party. Um, sevens have their own issues, by the way. If you're a seven, you know what I'm talking about. You're more of a robot. You stay away from your emotions. You try to hide those things. And so there's, it, it's easy to look at something else and say, that's what I want. I don't want what I have. Um, but to be honest is to go deeper, to understand yourself so that you might move to a place of health, and that's my encouragement for it. Okay, we ready? All right. So, Jesus. We are a community following Jesus, and Jesus talked about some things that I think are extremely helpful in this conversation. And John records for us a long conversation that Jesus has with his closest followers, his disciples, those who had gathered around him right before he's going to be put to death. And I think these last few chapters in, in the book of John the Gospel of John, give us incredible clarity about the things that Jesus would say are vitally important to what it means to follow him. Are you with me? Like if you knew you were going to die, if you knew you had like five days left, you would probably be very intentional about what you said to your loved ones, wouldn't you? I would sit down with my kids and I would tell them really important things like, don't ever not root for Auburn University. Now, I wouldn't waste time on that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. I would, I would focus on the things that matter. I want you to take care of your mom. I don't want you to forget about her. I want you to always 
check in and make sure as you build your own families, like don't ever leave, you know, I I would sit down and talk about the important things. And so Jesus, I think, is talking about the most important things to his followers. And in John chapter 15, this whole conversation, and he builds a picture for us. And I love when Jesus gives us pictures that we can begin to understand. And he says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So Jesus is, is, is painting this picture of a vine and branches that grow off of the vine that have fruit on them. And Jesus is saying, unless the branches, and he's talking about his disciples, unless as followers of Jesus, you, unless you remain connected to the vine, there will come no fruit. You, you will have no fruit in life and the fruit is the sweet part of life, you will not have that because you won't be connected to the life source, the vine itself. Now, you might step back and say, why does Jesus use this image? Like, this is a strange kind of image for us in this, this time, this culture. Uh, I think a couple different reasons, because I think it was very common, uh, especially a grapevine in that day, very common in that part of the world, and God had talked about Israel as being the vine that he had planted. So in the Old Testament, if you go back and read some Old Testament stories, God talks about Israel as being the vine that he planted, that he wanted to be fruitful, that would bless and feed the rest of the world. And they had failed to do that. And so this whole picture of God planting Jesus as the new vine, the new uh, part of life that brings life to the world around. So he says, now, as followers, remain in me. I'll, I'll remain in you. You can't produce fruit apart from me. And then he continues. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, what's that next line? You can do, you can do nothing. For apart from me, like you can do nothing. Um, it's interesting to me that uh, if, you, if you go into like Barnes & Noble down the street here, uh, look at the best sellers, what you'll find is a whole rack of self-help books, how to make ourselves better. And I think there are some great books in there. We looked at, uh, Duhigg uh, wrote uh, something about habits, you know, we looked at that. Atomic Habits was another book that, we, there's some great things in there to help us. But what Jesus is saying here is that true transformation, uh, becoming the kind of person that produces fruit that in essence tastes good to the world around us. Now go with me here. Becoming the kind of person that produces something that is good for the world around us, that can only happen when we're connected to him when we remain connected, and, and then he is connected with us. And apart, if we, if we sever our connection point with God, and that's through Jesus, if we sever that, that we produce nothing. Like nothing comes from that. And that's a powerful picture for us. So when it comes to the Enneagram and talking about self-awareness, the point isn't knowing your type. The point is knowing your type so that you might know how you can best connect to God 
and connect to others. Jesus said the two most important things in all of the world are to love God and love our neighbor, each other. And so that's the point of all of this. Um, A.J. Sherrill, uh, he said this when it comes to transformation. He says, whereas God is the transforming agent, so God is the one who produces through the vine uh, the life-giving energy and source that we need to produce fruit, uh, whereas God is the transforming agent, formation does, in fact, require human effort. It requires you and me to take an active role in partnering with what God wants to do in us. Are you, are you with me on that? Like, it just, how awesome would it be if we just woke up and we were better people? Wouldn't that be awesome? And some of us, we live our life like that's going to happen. God, I pray that tomorrow I would be a person of patience. And God's like, Matt, unless you work at this, you will never be a person of patience. I'm like, God, you are all powerful. Like I try to talk God into fixing me. (laughs) God, you are all powerful. You can do anything. Like if you read the Psalms, David does the same thing. You can do anything, God. I mean, fixing me would be easy. Just, just like flip a switch and make me more patient. And God say, no, you've got you've to take an active role in this, Matt. You want to become more patient? Drive in the slow lane on Shea every day. Amen. Like, like I have to participate with God. It's, it's God who is the initiator and the most powerful piece but we play an active role. You play an active role in becoming the person God wants you to be. And it's not going to happen overnight as much as we want it to. It's, it's, a, long, it's a long process. Um, so a couple quick pictures. Uh, transformation, it's a long obedience. Transformation is not a quick fix. It's a long obedience. And I use that word obedience, uh, I, I use that intentionally. Because the walk of faith is one of obedience for us. And we don't talk a lot about that. Because it it feels good just to say God loves us, and he does, and he pursues us, and he does. But he also calls us to work with him, to to take part in in our faith journey. So a long obedience. Jesus talks about the death to self. Like we want to sever from the vine and and plant ourselves in in the world around us, and we think that we can do it on our own. Some of us have been told that our entire life. I was told that. Matt, you can do it. You don't need anyone else, and that's just not true. I cannot plant myself in my world and become a fruitful person all by myself. It just isn't possible. It's it's about death to self and and realizing that the the true life source is, is God through Christ by the work of the Spirit. And then this, this word at the end, we don't like this, repentance. And repentance literally means to turn around. It's this long obedience of dying to the self and turning back to God. And that's why Sundays are so important, I, I believe, because it brings us back to remind us. And it's not just about attendance in a church. Look, I, for me, like, my goal is not to build the attendance of this church. I mean, the prideful side of me loves when a lot of people come here, but that's not the point. The point is that we as humans would continually turn back to God and be reminded of who he is and who he's, he's transforming us to become. Um, 
A second thought here, uh, long obedience, death to self, and repentance. And it takes community. Like God doesn't uh, transform us in isolation. It takes each other. Listen, you need me, and I don't mean me personally. You need someone else to grow, to be transformed. And I need you. Like, I haven't arrived, and you haven't arrived, and we're on a journey, and we need each other to grow. And it takes practices, which is our part of the journey. We have to practice. And we joke, you know, we, you guys laughed at me when I said, if I want to grow in my patience, I should drive in the slow lane on Shea. But that's the truth. I must practice patience if I'll ever become a person of patience. If with my kids and my family and the people who are closest to me, if I want patience to come out naturally, I have to practice intentionally so that patience becomes, God's able to work that into my soul so that when I'm pressed, you know, my heart doesn't explode in anger. Uh, it takes practices. That's our part. And then the final thing, when I say practices, this is what I mean, spiritual disciplines. And what I want us to think of today, I love this phrase, means of grace. Spiritual disciplines, we don't like that word because discipline, I mean, who likes to be disciplined? No, don't raise your hand. Um, uh, means of grace. A means of grace is an activity or a practice where you open the conduit between you and God. And that's what spiritual disciplines are. The point isn't about reading the Bible. The point is reading the Bible so that God's Spirit might move you and change you. Are you with me? Okay. So we're, what we're going to do here for the next couple minutes, and I'm going to work through these quickly, is I'm going to hit every type, every number, and give us some ideas of, of spiritual practices that might open the conduit between us and God. And I'll begin with the one because it's the best number in the entire Enneagram. <laughs> Um, so the one who is known as the reformer and the perfectionist, it's the checklist over here. I made a joke about the checklist, reformers, perfectionists, we love the checklist. And you'll notice on the bottom of the screen, I left some words just to help you think about these. Now, some of you might, as we walk through this, you might pick up on something else that, that, that spurs a thought about what type you might be. For example, the deadly sin for the one is anger. Anger is always lurking just beneath the surface. Anger, for the one, anger is the thing that explodes uncontrollably. It's just right there, always just beneath the surface. And if you're married to a one, you might know what I'm talking about. If you had a parent as a one, don't nudge each other, come on. <laughs> Work on me, not on you, right? If you had a parent who was one, you, you get this. Like, anger was just the natural response. It was the first response. It was the first thing that you saw. Um, so the one who is the, the reformer, the perfectionist, the deadly sin for us is that anger. It's the thing that, that, that cuts us from the vine. So I want to talk about it in that language. It's the thing that severs us from the vine of Jesus. A downstream practice, now, um, if you've ever been paddle boarding or kayaking or canoeing or anything like that, and you went on a river or you went out in the ocean, uh, I took my boys this summer, we were down in Florida, I took them uh, paddle boarding out in the little bay where we go, and if you just stand on the board and let the current take you where it's going, you don't have to paddle very hard. 
It just comes naturally, and it's so nice and enjoyable. And the problem is, if you have an hour to paddleboard with your kids, and you just go with the current, and you think, I'm going to go for 30 minutes, and then when I turn around, it'll take me 30 minutes to get back. It's a little bit more difficult to come against the current when you're paddleboarding or, or kayaking. The downstream, when we say downstream practice, those are the things that come easy and naturally for you. You don't have to work at it. Uh, you might not do it, but, it's, but it comes easy. It's the easy practice, the means of grace that opens the conduit. For the one, time and nature. Uh, it, it's, it's the easy practice for us, but it's one that we desperately need. And I so resonate as a one with this. I love being in the mountains, like hiking. I love being outside running or biking or throwing the football or whatever it is. I love just being outside. And there's something about being in nature that you have to just be okay with the world as it is. You cannot fix nature. I've tried. You can't do it. Uh, and so the, the downstream practice is time in nature. The upstream practice is journaling and worship. And let me tell you, if you're a one, you understand this, why it's so difficult to journal. Here's why it's so difficult to journal. When I make notes for Sunday mornings, like I want it to look really good. Even though none of you will ever see it unless I hold it up. Like if I mess up, I'll turn the page and start all over. I just can't stand it. Sometimes I'll tear the page out because I want it to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, it's not okay with me. You'll notice on this side, I went black and blue to change from number to number to remind me I'm, I'm shifting numbers. But if I, went, if, if I had two of the same color in a row, I just wouldn't be able to handle that. I would turn on. So journaling is very, it's very difficult to me, for me. And some of you are like, Matt, you need help. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Robin tells me every day I need help. If you're a one, you get it. There's a voice in your head always telling you why you're not good enough. There's a voice in my head that just nagging me, always, about how I didn't do it right, I messed it up, how you didn't do it right, you messed it up. You know, all of these things are just always constantly there. The two is the helper. So if you remember, the two is the one who's always there to help someone. So if, if, if you were walking in with a big box or if we had our water drive and you had water, cases of water in your hands, a one doesn't even notice you coming in the door struggling because they're fixed on fixing something else. And, you know, it's not about you over there, but a two is the one who jumps up and runs to the door. Pam Millar on our staff is a two. She is a helper. She notices Anytime someone's struggling, in this room, if somebody was sitting like in an aisle where no one else can see them and they were struggling, Pam would be able to see that. And she would come and she would help you do the things that you need to do. Now, the deadly sin for the two is pride. And you might think that doesn't connect. Like a pride for a two who's a helper? How could that be? Twos often slip into this idea that without them, the world would not operate. They, they're, the, they're the ones holding everything together. Uh, the downstream practice, hospitality and service, obviously. For a helper, that comes naturally. They, they, they create opportunities for people to come in and feel welcome, service. The upstream practice is centering prayer and solitude. Now, a two does not like solitude because there's no one to help. <laughs> it's a good practice to be reminded that the world doesn't depend on you if you're a two. Are you with me? So what these things do is they create an open conduit between you and God so that you might remain in the vine. Listen, for a two, 
if you begin to believe the world needs you all the time, you are severing yourself from the vine of Jesus and planting yourself thinking you are the one who brings about fruit in your life. Isn't that crazy how that fits together with what Jesus talked about? The three. Some of you are like, Matt, hurry up and get to my number. <laughs> the three is the achiever. Uh, the three is, is the performer, the one with the medal, the one who does not like participation trophies. You must earn every trophy and medal you get. Some of you are like, I don't like them either, but I'm not a three. Yeah, I get it. But anyway, the three... The, the deadly sin is deceit because for the three, they are projecting an image that they want everyone else to see. I'm the winner. I'm the best. I'm good. They're projecting an image that they want everyone else to see, which means they, they rarely are allowing people to see what's really beneath the surface. It's deceit to paint a picture that everything's good when it might not be good. The downstream practice uh, for the three is Bible study. And why that's natural and easy for a three is because a three is wanting to project a certain image. And if I'm studying my Bible, I'm projecting the image that I'm good with God and I'm in my word every day. Does that make sense? The upstream practice for a three is confession. Because it requires the one who is prone to deceit, it requires honesty about what's deep within them. And then Sabbath. Do you know what Sabbath is? Most of us don't. We read it in the Bible and we think Sunday's Sabbath because I came to church. Sabbath is a day of complete rest where you achieve nothing. And for a three, that sounds terrible. For a one, that sounds terrible. Like, achieve nothing? Like, produce nothing? Yes. And God said it's one of the most important things we can do because we're reminded that God is the one who keeps the world together, not us. An achiever, a performer, who, who continually paints an image that everything's great and never lets someone in is the one who is severing themselves from the vine of Jesus and planting themselves to produce their own fruit. Mm. Don't nudge people as we go through these. Four is the romantic or the creative. You remember, these are like the songwriters. They're the artists among us. Um, so I wasn't going to say this, but I'm just going to go ahead and point it out. He may or may not be a four, but our architect who designed this building and the new phases and everything, he's in the room today, right now. He's in the room. And uh, did he do a great job? Now, What's interesting is if you came into this building and you never knew what this building used to look like, some of you are new today and you have no idea what I'm talking about, there used to be a, a wall just behind this lower section of chairs. And when he designed the overall building, he saw things that no one else saw. He saw a way that this could be expanded where it would feel like it always was meant to be this. And it wasn't at first this. Like, that's the, that's the, the romantic, that's the artist, that's the creative, uh, the unicorn is the, the icon. Um, the, the challenge, the deadly sin for the romantic is envy. And the reason being is because uh, the romantic, the, the creative, uh, they, they, they have this drive to be unique and they see in others the uniqueness that they want, yet they might not possess. And it causes them to envy what other people have. 
And it's the thing that disconnects them. That envy, is the, it's, it's the blocker of God's life-giving energy. Uh, the downstream practice is solitude and silence. And we talked about this last week. For, that for the romantic, like they're often introverted and they become isolated. Uh, and, and that's their, their natural movement. And so solitude and silence is a practice that is, is just natural to them. The upstream practice is, see, when I see this, I want to be a four. It's feasting. It's like the party. It's the joy and it's thanksgiving for all that God has done. And for the four, that's difficult. Because the four, to be true to their self, they want to be true to the little bit of pain that's deep within them. They want to be unique and they sometimes have a difficult, uh, it's difficult for them to express joy and thanksgiving because the envy that tends to creep in to their hearts and their minds. Are you still with me? We're almost halfway there. The five, the investigator. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, I, I mentioned this week that I don't know a lot of investigators, and some of you told me you're investigators, which is super helpful for me. Um, and then I realized, well, of course I don't know all the fives because they're introverted and they don't go around telling people what they are. So I get it. Uh, the investigator is, is the one who wants all the knowledge. They get into the books, they get into the study, like when I put the two books up there, they've already bought them and read them this week. Like last week, you got them, you read them, you already know more than I know about the Enneagram. You're wondering why you're not up here telling people other than the fact that you would be in front of other people, which you don't want to be, but you've got more knowledge. Like that's the five. Now the deadly sin for the five is greed. The desire for more and more and more. To never have enough, whether that's knowledge or money or stuff, the, the deadly sin, the thing that cuts you off as a five from the vine that is Jesus is, is the lack of contentment, the, the wanting more and more and more. The downstream practice for the five, you guessed it, Bible study, because it's more knowledge to achieve, you know, to get into the Bible and study and know more. Like that's, that's the, the downstream practice. The upstream practice for the five, the more difficult practice but vital for the five to open the conduit between them and God is serving. Like a weekly serving opportunity that puts you with other people and makes you use what God's given you to feed others. Um. This morning, I just want to let you know we need some, some, uh, some people to volunteer in children's ministry. <laughs> just kidding. Well, I'm not, but uh, weekly serving and, and small group is awesome for a five. It is super uncomfortable for a five to be in a small group um, because it means they have to have more knowledge than anybody else before they come to the small group, and so they need to know beforehand what's going on in the group so they can pre-study for the group so that they might know what's going on in the group. And so, but a small group, vitally important because it puts you in relationship with others, and they might have more information than you have. It's awesome. It's a good practice. The six, okay, the six is the loyalist. The loyalist is, um, they say the most common number in the United States and more of you are raising your phones right now to take a picture than any other time, in this, so maybe they're right. The six, the loyalist. This is the lifelong friend. This is the lifelong employee of the organization. It's the one who is with you through thick and thin. And the deadly sin for the, the loyalist is fear. It's that fear and anxiety. And if you're a six, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like this fear that someone's going to leave you or that you're going to be set aside 
Um, the downstream practice for the six is worship and journaling. Like a, a six can do that naturally. You may not do it, but a six, they find journaling and worship um, fairly easy on a regular basis. What becomes a little bit more difficult but is healthy is, is scripture memory and fasting. Fasting is an interesting practice where you deprive yourself. You choose not to do something such as eat. And the, the biblical practice of fasting, which is not eating like for a day, uh, is to be reminded of the God who sustains us. And for a loyalist, incredibly helpful. It's an incredibly helpful um, means of grace that opens this conduit between you and God to, to rest in who God is the God who's loyal to you beyond all else. The seven is the enthusiast. And uh, I mentioned last week, Joe is a seven. The enthusiast is the life of the party. They're up for whatever comes their way. If you are wanting to go today to California and you invite Joe, he's probably going to say yes and ask his wife later if it's okay. Like he's just in the middle of it all. He wants to be a part of all the, the stuff, whatever all the stuff is. Um, the, uh, the, down, the, the deadly sin is gluttony, and uh, that, that is this, this desire for more and more and more, and to want to just continue to, to take more and more and more. And um, the downstream practice, what comes easy to the seven is community, because they love being around the people. Very helpful to be in community, and committed community is incredibly helpful because it causes the seven to become more in touch with emotions and be honest within that community. But it comes easy to them. Community comes easy to them. Uh, the upstream practice is solitude and silence and fasting. To put themselves in a position where they're all alone, not around a lot of other people, which opens a conduit between them and God. When the seven continually says yes to everything, they're severing themselves from the vine of Jesus not slowing down and planting themselves in who Christ is. What's interesting about this, I think if Joe was up here and we had a little conversation in front of some friends, um, Joe would I, I would, I would remind him of something he told me years ago before I ever even knew anything about the Enneagram. And I asked him, I said, what's one of your most helpful um, spiritual disciplines? And he said, you know, when I get overly stressed and all of that, he said, I need like a little retreat where I go away for a day. I'm by myself. I hike in the mountains or or I'm just alone, I need to pray and just be with God. Like he was in touch with a difficult practice for sevens because he knew that brought him life. It opened the conduit between him and God, which I think is beautiful. The eight is the challenger. The eight is the one who runs right into conflict. Uh, they're not afraid of conflict. They're strong and tense. They are decisive. If you can't make a decision, the eight can make the decision for you. Or the one, come ask the one. They can make a decision as well. Um, confrontational natural leaders, the deadly sin is lust. And I'm not just talking about like intimacy kind of lust, lust um, for many different things. And one of the primary lust for the, for the eight, for the challenger, is power. The eight wants no one to control them. They want to control everything around them. They create this, this hard exterior shell. The downstream practice, weekly serving, where they're serving other people. The upstream practice, um, is this accountability in prayer. And the accountability for the eight is tough because they have to let someone else in to what's really beneath the surface, and that's difficult. The nine is the peacemaker. 
And um, it's interesting, my wife is a nine, uh, and our relationship, both, we both say this, I wish we would have had this uh, 20 years ago when, when we were first married. This, this would have been so helpful for us to understand. I want you to think about this. So for the peacemaker who tends toward the deadly sin is laziness when they get stressed out, my wife kind of slips into the bedroom, covers over her head, earphones in, listens to the digital book or whatever. She just kind of disappears. For me, I'm the one who's always trying to fix everything. And if you're laying in your bed being lazy, you can't help me fix the things that need to be fixed. And it has created some tension from time to time in our marriage. The tendency, you know, for the nine, that deadly sin is laziness. And the downstream practice is time and nature. And we have learned to love walks together. To be outside with God where we're not fixing anything. We're just with God and with one another. Super helpful. This is helpful for marriage, but for our, our, our spiritual life. That time in nature for Robin, so good. Upstream practice, prayer. And I put three times a day because for the nine who uh, is always trying to create peace around them, to turn back to God three times a day is a con- constant reminder that God is there. He's present. And he's the one who brings peace. And then simplicity. To not get so much around you in your house. Um, not so many people that you, you're feeling like you have to fix everything or keep peace with everything. It's just like the simplicity is one of those conduits that you can open between you and God um, to stay connected to the vine. Um, to close today, uh, I, I know that's a lot of information, just like it was last week. Uh, I, my prayer is that this is incredibly helpful to all of us to understand how we're wired so that we can do what Jesus called his disciples to do. And that's remain connected to him.